Guys, here we are. Uh, good morning, and um, thanks for, for rolling with us as we just try some new things out. And so, uh, as Mike said, Happy Lunar New Year to you. Um, and uh, it's, it is also Black History Month, and at the front end here, just want to say what I've been thinking about this week in Black History is, you know, certain errors that we tend to emphasize in, in the Black American experience. And one of the most powerful things for me was being introduced to a, to a huge chapter in that story that we just aren't often exposed to, which is the Great Migration. Great Migration was the movement of six million Black Americans in the first half of the last century from the South into various, mostly Northern cities. And by and large, they were leaving and, and really escaping the Jim Crow South and, and all that was going on there and resettling in all of these various cities. And it's such a significant bridge from the era of slavery to the black American experience now. And yet it's just something that we don't often learn about. And it was probably, oh, I don't know, three years ago or something, Tim Dees, who's in our church, said to me, just read a book that should be literally required reading for all Americans called The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. And if there's one book that I could put in your hands, I think that's most significant to telling the just the comprehensive story of black Americans, it's, it's probably that one because of the significance of that era. And one of the things as, as a follower of Jesus that's so significant in the story of the Great Migration is the role that the black church played in being a, a, a safe haven, being a place of social cohesion, being a place of, um, of, of yeah, just providing a, a soft landing to these folks who were courageously, unbelievably heading into these places. And that, by and large, is where we get the wonderful heritage of the black church. And I was thinking about that this week as we head into the book of Hebrews, because so much of Hebrews, and we'll get at this even in this message, so much of Hebrews is this call to draw near to God, to unapologetically, experientially expect that when we draw near to God, that, that he draws near to us. And just the, the powerful embodiment of that, that is uniquely the, the heritage of the black church, is just something that I think that as a multi-ethnic church, we, we can just never learn too much about, never um, submit ourselves to, and, and learn from how a people who went through so, such tremendous suffering and oppression in this nation's history are yet the most celebratory followers of Jesus in the American heritage. And, uh, and so I was just thinking that I'll, I'll reference that again as we go through here. But um, we are starting a new series in Hebrews. And so it's always this interesting question of how do you, how do you introduce an entire book? And so what we're going to do is I'll give you a little bit of a 35,000 foot view of what's going on in Hebrews. But then I do want to dip in particularly to the first three verses. I had Ani read the, the bracketing of the first chapter of Hebrews, but it's really just the first three verses that will be in this morning. And so the, the book of Hebrews, uh, to give you kind of the, the raw data here, uh, we don't know who it's written by. The early church is pretty unified in that. That's why we don't have a name associated uh, with it. 
you know, in your Bibles, you, you won't see there if, if you have study notes or something. Uh, in fact, as early as the, the third century, um, you have church historians saying, like Origen literally says, uh, who wrote Hebrews? Only God knows. Like it, it was just, it seems like though from what it says is it's a second or third generation letter written to the churches. And what I mean by second or third generation is it's not, it's not from the apostles themselves, but in, in the book of Hebrews, the author uses language that says what, what they saw they handed to us. And so he seems to be, um, and I'm saying he there because most um, of these letters are written, but there is a possibility that this could have been written by, um, by a woman in, in the early Christian church. And so, um, so I'll try and say author, the author of Hebrews as much as I can throughout this series. But, uh, but it seems like it's, a, it's sort of a second-generation Christian now writing to third-generation Christians. When it was written is a little bit hard to tell. There's a ton in here. This, again, I could probably spend 15 minutes here, but I would place it somewhere in the mid to late first century, mostly because it talks so much about the temple. And if you know your uh, ancient history, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And it just seems like a weird thing to not mention that when you're talking so much about the temple and sacrifices and that whole system and priests and all that, to not say, hey, by the way, I know that all of this has been destroyed and done away with. If that happens in 70 AD, it seems like this, this is most likely something that comes earlier. We also have mention of Timothy, who's probably the Timothy from the New Testament, who uh, likely, uh, we're told that he was in prison, which we have no mention of in Paul's letters. Paul dies in 65. So maybe between 65 and 70 is a pretty good guess. So, so early, um, but maybe not as early as some of the, the other New Testament stuff. See, that's the basic stuff. That's why we don't spend too much time here. Why Hebrews, right? That, that's more the question that I want to get at this morning. Why Hebrews? First of all, because the clearly as you read this letter, it was written to a group of people, I think in a situation much like we are. Again and again, the recurring theme in Hebrews is that the author is encouraging them to persevere in faith, to continue on. And he's, what's interesting here is the author is clearly not talking to young Christians, re recent converts, which is sometimes who we think most needs to be told to persevere. Instead, he's talking to people who have persevered before. In fact, there's this point where the author says, hey, you've already done this. You've already been faithful in the midst of tremendous persecution, in the midst of your property being taken away from you. This is in the, in the latter parts of Hebrews. And he says, you got to re-engage the things that got you through that now. So he's actually talking to mature, experienced Christians, which is just a really interesting reality in, in this. The, the way that the author goes about it are the two things that will recur again and again. And by the way, we are going to take our sweet time in Hebrews. We're going to be in, in this letter for about six months. I think that the first three verses are a great argument for why you should go slowly through Hebrews. You'll, you'll hear how much is packed into just three verses. So we're going to go fairly slowly. So as we do, one of the recurring themes, though, again and again, is that Hebrews will constantly be comparing Jesus to various other things, mostly from, from the Old Testament story. But again, we get many, many sermon series on Hebrews, many Bible studies on Hebrews are titled something like Jesus is better. That's one of the things that is said again and again, that Jesus is superior 
and, and we'll talk about in what way he's superior, but Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than that. You'll, you'll hear it, actually. This morning, you just heard it in what Ani read. So uh, one of the things that's great about this letter for us right now is this just a Jesus-packed kind of letter, is we are going to learn a lot about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these various things from the Old Testament. So that's, that's one means, is that constantly the author is lifting up the supremacy of Jesus and saying, if you leave, know who you're leaving. In other words, the other thing that the author does are these, and what Hebrews might be known for, for some of you who have been around church for a little while, is that Hebrews is known for these very sobering warnings. These, if, if you have tasted of the Spirit, if you have been a part of the Christian community, use all this language, and then you fall away, there's no hope for you. And theologians have wrestled with what exactly to do with these warning passages. I'm actually pretty excited to dive into them. I think it's some of the, the richest uh, realities for people like us in a season like we are in, in the midst of COVID. And so you, you have this kind of positive encouragement, you can think of it, with the Jesus is better stuff, but then you also have these, these negative warnings. And it's in the, the, the kind of tension of those two that the author of Hebrews is going to tell us that's where perseverance comes from, is in understanding the supremacy, the uniqueness, the utter greatness of Jesus, and realizing what it would cost if we left. The other thing that I really love about Hebrews, one of the other reasons why we'll go slowly through it, is because of how much Old Testament stuff is packed into it. In fact, if you're wondering why is it called Hebrews, it's called Hebrews because there's so many Old Testament references in Hebrews that the author could not have been writing to anyone but those familiar enough with the Old Testament to, to get at least some of what the author is saying, right? Like, probably no one is, is going to get all of these references, but you have to have some baseline knowledge of the Old Testament story in order to track with anything that the author is saying. This is one of the reasons why I just love the idea of walking through the story. In fact, we'll take a couple Sundays and just kind of pause and mostly take a couple verses in the Hebrews, but mostly look at the Old Testament passages that those are coming from. So, so we're going we're gonna to kind of have our cake and eat it too in terms of New Testament, Old Testament emphasis here uh, for, for these next number of months. And so a little bit of awareness of the basic contours of the Old Testament story really helpful here, that God created the world with a certain purpose, placed his image bearers, Adam and Eve, that, those, that the ones who were made to represent him and be who he would be in the world ultimately fell from that purpose, and yet God pursued humanity in and through Abraham. You'll hear a lot about Abraham in the story. Through Abraham, he creates this people, Israel. Israel is going to recur again and again. Israel ultimately ends up in bondage in Egypt. God rescues them. You'll hear a lot about that rescue, parts the Red Sea, Charlton Heston, right, leads them through. They ultimately wander. They ultimately moan and complain and grumble against God. They are judged for that. The first generation doesn't get into the, the promised destination that God has taken them to, which is the promised land. As a part of that whole construct, God gives his law, his covenant to the people at Mount Sinai. You'll hear a ton about Mount Sinai. So look, here's, here's my little homework for you. If 
probably most of you, I actually can see uh, some of you on the screen here, probably most of you have some vague awareness of that. This would be a great opportunity. Go to the Bible Project. We use this in our intellectual discipleship course. And just familiarize yourself. Watch some of the videos. Watch the video on covenant. Watch the video on uh, the people of God. There, there's a bunch of videos that trace that Old Testament story in any of a number of ways. And then you'll just start getting a little bit more familiar when this stuff pops up, when he talks about Sinai, when he talks about Moses, when he talks about the, the law. You, you'll be vaguely aware of the story that he's speaking into. Because a lot of this does have that sense of the author, you know the phrase talking shop? Do people still say that? You're talking shop when you're using insider lingo for the particular industry or particular area of interest, right? Like think about when you're around a bunch of people who are talking about a sport you're not interested in. And you're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or they're talking about a TV show that you've never seen. They're cracking, oh, remember the one, remember the one? Right? This is my constant experience with people with Seinfeld. I've never seen Seinfeld. So I find myself saying again and again, I've never seen it. I've never, Do you know the one? Do you know? No, I don't know the one because that's, I would encourage us, don't get to the end of Hebrews still saying, yeah, I just don't know. He's talking shop, they're talking, Scott's talking shop, the author's talking shop, and, and I'm just not catching. Use this as an opportunity to say, hey, if I'm curious about these things, and literally, let me just make it a one-stop shop. Like, the Bible Project is great. Mike Freiberger's sitting right in front of me. He's one of the only people in this room right now. He's shaking his head. He's a big Bible Project fan. Use the Bible Project um, to look up things about Sinai and the law and, and all of these various things because there is some shop talk in this. The last uh, reason why I think Hebrews is, is just a great word for us right now is because, and, and this is really why we're the primary reason why I felt like God ultimately led us, led me to, to Hebrews for this season is I don't think that there's a book in the scriptures that has a more comprehensive view of what the journey of faith actually feels like, if I could put it that way, what it requires of us. In fact, even that idea of a journey of faith is something that primarily comes from the, the symbolic thought world, from, from the shop talk, if you will, of Hebrews. Because what Hebrews will do is it will pick up that Old Testament story and all of its contours, and it will say that the journey of faith for you and I now, right here in central New Jersey, most of us, in the 21st century, that our journey of faith has those same contours. That we have been rescued, like Israel, from the oppression, from the slavery, of our sin and shame and from the powers of this world, that we have been given a new name and a new way of walking in the world, that we are now journeying toward our own promised land, namely the new heavens and the new earth. And therefore, the part of the story that is most resonant with where we are now is Israel's experience in the wilderness, where they were prone to say, God, I see that you did an amazing thing behind me. I know that you've promised to do something amazing out ahead, but what about right now? But right now is so hard. Right now feels so dry. 
Right now, I feel so isolated. Right now, I just don't see evidence of your goodness around me. And I would imagine that a good percent of, of, of us, maybe not audibly, but in our hearts, say amen. Because this is what 2020, and God help us, 2021, as it lingers on, has felt like, hasn't it? For those of us who follow Jesus, there's probably a sense of his faithfulness that has gone behind us, that we've been rescued, that we've seen him do amazing things. And maybe we even have some vague sense of the hope that is out in front of us. But where is God now? What do I do now? What is God's expectation of me in such a difficult season as this whole everything lingers on? COVID-19 and the political situation and racial injustice and unrest. Where is God and what does faithfulness look like in this season? And so even that idea that faith is a journey, I think, is an unbelievably helpful one for us here and now. That faith is often most needed in the wilderness. And so it's really important that we define, well, what is faith? And that's where I love Hebrews uniquely in the scriptures, is Hebrews is going to give us this very comprehensive view. Let me break it down with a little bit of Hebrews. There's two passages that serve as any commentary on Hebrews calls these the hinge passages. I'm just going to read one of them for the sake of time. You can write this down. I would highlight this in your Bible. Uh, you're, you're, you know, my, my Hebrews is very colorful. Oh yeah, you can't see it. But it's very colorful, trust me. Um, yours should be by, by the time we're done. Two of the passages that I would have you highlight right now are Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16. That's Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, and Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. 10, 19 to 25. They sound very similar. Let me read the first one. These are, think of these as the chorus of the song of Hebrews. You know, there's certain choruses that you sing a verse, and then you sing a chorus, and it kind of it reviews for you or gives you the main point of what you've just heard. And then you sing another verse and you return to that chorus to be reminded of, this is the central thing I'm wanting you to get from these various verses. Like I think of, like, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. The point of that song is that we are to rest in the goodness of God in all circumstances of life. Now, the verses change in one, it's, it's, we trust him in the midst of our sinfulness. We trust him in the midst of our suffering. Then we trust him in the midst of the promise of him ultimately coming again to make all things. But the point is, it is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. And, and that's the reason why even the, the chorus there slows down is it's reminding us, this is what you're supposed to be experiencing in this moment. That's how these two passages function. Here's what 4, 14 to 16 says. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are three things that we're told here are essential to faith, and three things that we are told here are essential to understand about who Jesus is. And you can, and most do, very much structure Hebrews around those three pairs, because the thing that we're supposed to understand about faith goes with the thing that we're 
supposed to understand about Jesus. And you can split this book into thirds around these two, two choruses. The three verses of the Song of Hebrews are structured around first, we learn that Jesus is uniquely the Son of God and all of the implications there. And hopefully we'll have time to get into verses one to three and how they start us in, in an understanding there. And what goes along with that is that we are to consider that, that we are to dwell upon that, that we are to reason out from the implications that Jesus is uniquely the Son of God to understand all of life in every situation in life. This is very much the, the thinking, the, the head part of Hebrews. Jesus is the Son of God. Consider that is the language that's here. Second one is that Jesus is our great high priest. If that means nothing to you, hopefully by August that'll mean a ton to you. This is essential to understand that Jesus is the one who gives of, his, of, him, of himself, who sacrifices his very being and is uniquely the sacrifice able to cleanse you and I of the of all of the sin and rebellion, of all of the brokenness that is the result of us walking in this world, that is the result of our own personal responsibility in walking away from God, that Jesus cleanses us from that. And in light of that, the, the aspect of faith that goes here is that we're to draw near, draw near. You can hear that language a lot in Hebrews. In other words, this is where the black church experience is so significant, that we should have a real experiential expectation when we approach God, that he will meet us, that he will speak to us, that he will comfort us, that he will bring joy and peace and the fruit of the spirit as we sow the spirit, right? This is what we're talking about in D course. Another reason why I really like us in Hebrews right now is we're saying that we tend to be a, someone like myself. I tend to be someone who does the head part pretty well, but when it comes to the experiential, getting emotional before God, that's, that's where I can struggle. Hebrews is going to say, no, that's part of it. You misunderstand Jesus and what he has uniquely done if you're not willing to go there. That's the second thing. Son of God, consider that. Great high priest, draw near. And then the third one is that Jesus is uniquely our forerunner. That Jesus is the one who shows us what perfect humanity looks like. That he is the truly human one. You've heard me preach this if you've been around Jacob's Well for any amount of time again and again. Hebrews is, is, is going to quadruple down on that. It's going to say that Jesus shows us what a human fully alive looks like. And there's massive implications there. But the fundamental thing that makes Jesus... The true human being is his utter and complete submission and obedience to God. And so the call of faith there is radical obedience, radical stepping into what Jesus calls us to be and to do. Son of God, consider that. Great high priest, draw near. Forerunner, we can call that, that our example, the, the model of, of faithfulness, where to be radically obedient. What I love about that is how comprehensive it is because what we tend to do is we tend to gravitate toward one of those three and then judge other people who are weak in the one that we are strong in, not realizing that the body of Christ is meant to call one another at various times and, and in various ways to faithfulness in one of those ways that maybe aren't as comfortable to us. Some of us are naturally theologians, and we believe that all of discipleship comes down to knowing your Bible, better having your theology in, in place. And Hebrews says, yes, amen, and we need you. 
But when that's the only, when that's where we stop, we are leaving things on the table. There are things in our theology that we are actually not faithfully living out, right? Some of us love the experiential part of faith, find ourselves drawn to that, find again and again that our, that our faith actually goes dry when we don't have some kind of experience, when we don't have some kind of immediate responsiveness to our drawing near to God. And Hebrews says, yes, amen, you should bring expectation to that. That is part of the Christian faith. But then, so, so with the sort of theological type, so with, with those who are more prone to the experience part, we say, well, this is what faith is, and so theology, not really that important. That just makes your head big. I don't get why I need any of that. It's just me and God, me and Jesus alone. Hebrews says, caution there, because there's probably things you're not considering. There's probably things that you're leaving out in terms of understanding and seeing the world through the lens of Jesus. And finally, there are those of us called as pragmatists who are mostly focused on, yeah, but what do I do? Yeah, but Christians need to obey. Yeah, but Christians need to actually get their hands into something. Christians need to get proximate to suffering. Christians need to care about justice, need to care about the poor. And Hebrews will say, amen, amen, amen. But if we do that apart from an awareness of the greatness and supremacy of Jesus, if we do that apart from the sustaining grace of drawing near to God, that actually is the sustenance of what draws out obedience from us, that will keep us in a place of contentedness and joy, even when we are doing that hard work. Again, we are leaving something on the table. So a great way to approach Hebrews is to just say, where do you anticipate Hebrews will most encourage you? And where do you anticipate Hebrews will most challenge you? Because it will. It inevitably will. If you have all three of those, three of those not, you, you don't need the scriptures. And so I just suggest that certainly all of us probably need a pushing in one of those three areas. Hebrews 1 Verse 1, we'll do this quickly. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. His son. Hear this? This is our first verse in the Song of Hebrews. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews starts with a complete and total Jesus mic drop. This is some of the highest Christology is, is the teaching around the person, right? Theology is teaching around God. Christology is teaching around who Jesus is. This is some of the highest, most robust Christology in the entire New Testament. And do you hear the contrast? Here's your first, Jesus is better. Long ago, at many times, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophet. So long ago versus now. This is how God is speaking to us now. Many times in many ways. God's revelation prior to this was often piecemeal. It, it was through various people. It was through various means. You got to put the pieces together over time. It was progressive. Now in the sun, it's whole. It's complete. It's final. God speaking to us through the Son. He spoke to our fathers, now he's speaking to us by the prophets, now he speaks to us by a Son. And what the author is getting at here is not that God speaks to us merely through the teaching of Jesus, through the spoken word of Jesus, 
But the deeper reality that the author is getting at here is that God's final word to us is the entire life and ministry and work of Jesus. That's God's word to us. Right? So many of us long for God to speak to us. Why doesn't he speak to me? Right? This is one of the things that makes the wilderness hard. Right at the beginning, the author is telling us he has spoken and he's spoken definitively. And everything that you could ever want to know from God, every question that you could ever have from him, you can basically reason out from what he did and is doing through Jesus. Do you realize the implications of that? This is where Jesus again and again in his ministry, people are constantly saying, yeah, but Jesus, show us God. Yeah, but Jesus, show us the Father. You're great, but you're just like, you're, you're a human being. You're one of us. Like, you're our boy. But what's God like? What did Jesus say again and again? It's particularly in the Gospel of John. He's saying, look, if you've seen me, you've seen God. God, it, think of it this way, that we can't fully understand. God is so, so totally other that there's no way for us to actually hear and understand him unless he translates and not just translates from whatever his divine language is into modern-day English or something, but he's got to translate it somehow his entire being. And the way that he chooses to do that is he gives us an entire human life. Do you hear the translation in that? Do you hear the, uh, the revelation? Do you hear the grace in saying, I'm going to give you a life lived, and that's all you'll ever need to know about me? That's what he's saying here. This is why we can never, this is why we're gospel centered, right? Like we can never get away from Jesus. We are Jesus people because all that God wanted to ever say, he has already said. And he's done it through his son. This means everything that is true about Jesus is true about God. You've heard me say this before. Often we emphasize Jesus is God. And that's good and that's doctrinally true. I think that sometimes the far more powerful truth is God is Jesus. Do you hear that? But yes, Jesus is God, but also God is revealed to us through Jesus. That's what Hebrews is getting at. Jesus isn't the totality of God, right? Because there's a Father and the Spirit. Let me not err into some kind of heresy and get emails this week. But the sense in which Jesus uniquely, by being a human person, reveals God is what Hebrews is getting at here. Who is the Son? He's the one that was appointed the heir of all things. We'll talk a lot about that next week. This is talking about the ascension through whom also he created the world. So he was there at the beginning of the world. And oh, by the way, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Because why? Because he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. The radiance of his glory. This is, this is saying that if God is the sun, Jesus is the rays. It's saying that if, if God is the, the word that's used here for imprint is if God is the signet ring, Jesus is the seal. What, what are those getting at? First of all, it's, it's struggling at language to say, because they're one and the same, and it's saying that it's the revelation of that which is hard to fully conceive of. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the sun. It's surprising. You're like, that's what the sun looks like? I thought the sun was a giant circle, you know, colored in yellow. Well, no, what do we get? We get the rays, we get the heat, we get the light. It's saying that's, the, that's how we understand what the sun is, not by looking directly at it. We, we experience it through that which it, it sends Again, straining at language to tell us just how unified Jesus and God are. He was there at the beginning. This is something that the entire New Testament says again and again. Jesus participated in creation. Whatever that means, he was there. He was part of it. Jesus does not show up 
on the scene of the cosmos in first century Palestine. He is there at the beginning. He is pre-existent. He was always there, is what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. He was not a man that God said, hey, that's a pretty good God. We should include him in the Trinity. No, this is the pre-existent Son of God. There at the beginning, God is now handed over to him. We'll talk about what that means next week. And right now, Jesus is upholding the universe by a word of his power. What does that mean? Honestly, studied and studied this, I have no idea what it means to uphold the universe by the word of your power, other than saying, have you ever seen a parent who, talking about good parents, talking about gracious parents, who, who have done the right thing by their kids, and when their kid, or maybe a teacher, like a really, let's take a really excellent teacher, who can control their classroom not by yelling and screaming. And I realize that different classrooms present different challenges, but let's say pretty good class, pretty good teacher. And the teacher can just, and everybody goes quiet, like just in an instant. That's the power that we're being told Jesus has over the galaxies, over the movement of planets and stars. Jesus goes, ah! and it responds. Here, I'm going to shamelessly borrow an illustration that Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, great influence in my life. He got a good report on a, on a terrible cancer diagnosis this week. Praise God for that. Tim Keller says that the most powerful illustration that really changed his life is, uh, and I think it might have even been directly from this text, is he said one time someone, a woman was teaching and she said, look, if the, if the distance from here to the sun is, is the is the um, is the depth of a piece of paper one piece of paper is, represents the distance from here to the sun then from the sun to the next closest star is, is 70 miles high stacked paper one on top of another from here to the end of just our galaxy and we are one of trillions of trillions of galaxies from here to the end of our would be a stack of papers from here to like Boston here to Pittsburgh and if our galaxy is just a speck among all of these other galaxies, and the one that we are told here created it, has had it handed over to him, and right now is upholding it by a word of his power, you do not take that one and make him your personal secretary, which is what we so often do. Hey, Jesus, I got some needs. I think you'd be helpful. I think you're kind of good at these. Right? You don't make him a personal assistant to run some errands while you get busy with the work of your life. If he is that powerful, right? This is where we need to consider. We need to dwell on this. You need to think about this, right? Obedience, radical obedience doesn't just spring up. Wanting to approach him to draw near, right? Most of us have confessed in the last two weeks on D course, it's really hard to find rhythms to draw near to him. That's because often we put those things first when the first thing we have to do is actually consider the one that we're doing business with. And have we made him our personal assistant or do we understand the one who we have the great privilege of approaching? Because the only other thing that's said about Jesus here in these opening verses is that all of this is predicated upon him making purification for sins. All of that power, all of that grandeur, all of that supremacy, 
Jesus, when he came, he leveraged all of it. Not to make much of himself, not to bring judgment, not to rain down judgment on the world. He brought all of it so that you can be brought home. So that he might save you, bring you out, bring you to a new place, set your feet on solid ground, and one day make all things new, come back in a different kind of manner, and by a word of his power say, I am making all things new. And he says, yeah, it's really hard right now, but don't forget who I am. Don't forget the one who has actually saved you, the one who has made this promise, for he is the one who is upholding the universe by the word of his power. I'll leave you with this. Uh, came across this quote from George MacDonald, who uh, many consider kind of the one of, one of the founders of, of the modern fantasy literature. He's a mentor of Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice in Wonderland. But he was also a Christian theologian. Most people don't know that. And George MacDonald said, the question that you should be asking is not whether or not you believe, because that's, that's far too vague a question. The question should be, have I done anything today because he told me to do it? And have I not done anything today because he told me not to do it? And if we understand the one who is speaking and what he has done to bring us home and who he is and the power that he has, then on a day-by-day -day basis, we should be able to answer that question. Yeah, there's some things that I'm going to do just because he told me to do it. And there's some things I'm not going to do just because he told me not to do it. And when we choose that, it is not obligation, it is not duty, it is joy, precisely because we have considered the one who is speaking. That's where Hebrews will take us over these months together. I could not be more excited. Um, it's going to be uh, Well Kids Live now, and so I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, and then Rachel will lead you through that transition. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, the one who is the exact imprint of God, the one who created the world, to whom the world has been handed over, the one who sustains it even now. Lord, give us faith to really believe that right now you are sustaining the universe by the word of your power. Lord, it is unfathomable that that one made purification for my sin, for my brokenness, that you came into my mess, that you leveraged all of that such that I could go free. Lord, help me to trust you, especially in a season like this. Help us to trust you in this journey of faith one thing that I didn't mention is the name of the series will be Resilient Faith. God, give us resilient faith that is not sourced in how great we are, but that is sourced in an understanding and awe of how great you are. Lord, I pray for our kids now as they go and have opportunity uh, to be together, to be taught. Lord, make that just a, a wonderful time for them. And God, make this a wonderful journey itself through the book of Hebrews that would change us individually and change us as a church forever. Lord, you are capable of that because you're capable of so much more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.